Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hey, girl. Hey. Uh, are we starting? <laughs> yes, we're starting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just wanted to give you something to edit out. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> really appreciate that. Hey, Rose. Hey, Lynn. How was your week? It's been a shit show. Well, a shit show, huh? Yeah, Charlotte's been really sick. I think she has a flu. So we've oh, been... and she felt you up today, too, didn't she? Yeah, she was touching my boob as she was snuggling me, and I was like, what you doing, girl? <laughs> She really wants to know when she's getting boobs. Is that what she says? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God. She's going to be a handful. She, I know. <laughs> she's going to be stuffing her bra in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> she for sure will. She's she's very into, like, fashion and all that makeup. Oh, my God. Makeup it's so and... funny. I don't know where she gets that because you know it's not from you. It ain't from me. Because Lord knows. You look like you... I didn't, wear a paper sh- bag. I didn't wear a shirt till I was in like sixth grade. Oh my God, that's so funny. I thought funny. I was a boy for a long time. Oh my God, my sister had a friend like that in elementary school that was an insane tomboy. Like yeah. she always wore boys' bathing suits and everything. And we, you know, I didn't care. I was like, go girl. Yeah. So. But eventually I, I came around. <laughs> <laughs> You're a liar. You still don't wear a shirt anywhere. <laughs> But Lynn likes it when I don't wear a shirt to recording. No, I don't, because she ain't got nothing on me, boys and girls. Yeah, that's true. So, um, our numbers are increasing on our um, follows on Apple. So, that's super exciting. exciting. And we want to thank you guys so much for all the shares you guys are doing. I'm lying, because nobody's sharing our shit. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, but if you want to share it on your page, that would be really wonderful. I know there's people like my mom that are embarrassed about me, so she won't share me. <laughs> she probably doesn't listen either. She's like, I'm too embarrassed to share the way you talk with your potty mouth. Mm, that's okay, mom. You don't have to share. But anyway, if you um, if you feel the need or you feel compelled to share our podcast, please do. You it's... know, my mom hasn't shared either. I need, hmm. to, I need to question her. Mm. She says she listens, but... Does she? I don't know. Now I'm questioning it. Hmm. Maybe she needs to give you a report of the facts she remembers every week. I think she does. That's that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good idea. We know Christina listens. I know. That's uh, surprising. My sister listened um, this week. She listened to Georgie last White. Week's episode, last yeah. week's episode. Yeah. Which was our favorite so far. My favorite so far, for sure. Um, I hope you guys like that. I thought it was pretty fun. That wasn't less... That was the one that dropped last week. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So this week. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, I was super into it because it was just her life was just crazy. It was really fun to do her. Um, I didn't do her to do a story about her. FYI, she's dead. I can't do her. Um, yeah, I was surprised though that I didn't have more of Caitlin's friends comment on it because, you know, so many of her friends are in that. Yeah, right. Like outdoorsy, like adventure kind of thing. They but probably think you're just some old lady podcasting. One of her friends was like, that podcast I didn't know that was your mom. That just I just got sent to me by Instagram as a suggestion and I was like, Oh, okay, I'll follow it. Why not? And oh, then really? and then she's like, and then I saw a picture of your mom and I was like, Great, that's Kate's mom. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I was like, Oh yes, go Instagram. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so that was pretty fun. But um I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun. And when people find out, I don't know about you, because you're not chatty like I am, but the people that I talk to that find out I do a podcast are like <gasps> 
you do a podcast? And I'm like, yeah. And so it's really, really That's exciting. That's so funny. I don't tell anyone. Like, no one at work knows that I've done, I'm That's doing so a podcast. That's so funny. No, so I had a, we had an event at work yesterday, and it was like a cocktail party at the end of the day. And hence why I work there. And um, we had a cocktail party at the end of the day. And I think it was like it was our our corporate fun day, which I think might coincide with Employee Appreciation Day. I'm not positive. But um, anyway, they, they just had like a reception at the end of the day. I wouldn't know because my company doesn't appreciate employees. Yeah, well, you, have you looked at me? Of course, they had the whole party just because of me, Rose. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's why your raise was so big. I'd rather get paid more, honestly. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I talked to like four or five people about the podcast there. I was oh, like, really? oh, yeah, I have a podcast. Have you ever listened to it? Let me give you the name. And I made them put it in their phone while I was standing <laughs> right there. You forced them. <laughs> I'm a walking builder. Next, next billboard. Next time I'm going to wear a sandwich board, like one of those things, <laughs> and walk around yeah. like back and forth across any kind of. <laughs> no one in my office listens to podcasts except my boss and she would not like her podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm fine with her listening to it, but I know she wouldn't. It's not her thing. Yeah, I mean, I tell people, I mean, at my work, it's pretty pretty laid back. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of very proper people at my work. So I'm obviously I'm not going to say it to, you know, the head of HR, but um, actually he would probably like it now that I think <laughs> about it. But um, I, you know, I just I'm cautious who I talk to. Which I've never done in my life, so be proud of me. I know all. that's surprising. Yeah. So today, Rose, I am going to talk about. You ready? Yeah. Magdalena Carmen Frida E. Caldron Caldrona. Oh. Yeah. She was born on July sixth, nineteen o seven, in her maternal grandmother's home in a village on the outskirts of Mexico City. And I'm going to do a little skirt for a second and talk about our cocktail that we forgot to talk about. We always forget. So I looked up a recipe today and went and bought some really good local bourbon from a place called Ragged Branch, who we're going to hashtag in this. So they maybe want to sponsor us because their bourbon is the bomb diggate, y'all. It's in Virginia. It's in local. It's a, oh, I didn't, I've never heard somewhere of it. Uh, out on one fifty one or something. Uh, one fifty one for y'all that are not in, in local in Charlottesville is like a place where all, a lot of breweries and wineries are out in Nelson County in Virginia. And I think uh, Ragged Branch is out that way. I'm not positive, but anyway, their bourbon is divine. Can you visit? You I know we need to more? visit. I think Chris would like that. Yeah, we should definitely do that soon. But their bourbon's super, super good. There's a couple other distilleries in. Charlottesville area, and they're just okay. But this one is good. Anyway, so it's really yummy. So I made, I looked up a recipe for, I love whiskey sours, but I am not a fan of sour mix at all. No, it's so gross. Sour mix gives me a headache. It makes me feel more thirsty. It makes my mouth go, like it's weird. it's really gross. Because it's usually loaded with sugar and super tart and gross. It is. So these are a the best whiskey sour you'll ever drink according to the recipe and it's it's whiskey really good whiskey and fresh lemon juice maple syrup and then a good uh i think it's called luxor lux oh shoot i forgot the name of the cherries the, i think it's luxor really good the cherries are phenomenal you guys you can't just use maraschino cherries you have to use the lux luxor cherries i don't have a cherry yes you do it's in there i promise look in the bottom in the middle I put a cherry in there. You don't have a cherry. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) I really don't. Yes, you do. I put it in there. Oh, there it is. She's sticking her finger in her glass going, where's my cherry? (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought that was a maple syrup on the bottom. <laughs> She's digging all around her finger. I'm like, Rose, I don't need to see this right now. <laughs> anyway, and then it has a twist of orange and a Luxor cherry, as I said. So we'll uh, hashtag them as well in this episode. So maybe they'll sponsor us too. But this is a yummy, yummy, yummy it cocktail. Really I even made one for my sister because I was like, let me, because I had to make it upstairs. There's a lot involved, very involved. So anyway, um, I'm going to get back to my story. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Magdalena. I'm going to call her Frida moving forward. Um, her name is, she's better known as Frida Kala, who is a famous artist. So Frida's parents were 30 and 36, respectively, when they had her. Her father was a photographer originally from Germany. After an accident caused him develop, to develop epilepsy. Ep- <laughs> what was that? Epilepsy? Epilepsy? <laughs> After an accident caused him to develop, to develop epilepsy, he had to withdraw from university and immigrated to Mexico in 1891. Her mother, Matilde, was a native to southwestern Mexico. Frida had three sisters, Matilde, nine years older than her, Adriana, five years older than her, and Christina, one year older, uh, one year younger, excuse me. She also had two half-sisters from her father's first marriage, Maria, Luisa, and Margarita, I want that name. Margarita. I'd love to have that name. I'm going to change awesome. my name. I'm just going to change my name. You should. But L- the two half-sisters were born in, were, I'm sorry, were raised in a convent. Frida described her childhood as very, very sad. Both parents were often sick and they had a loveless marriage. Her relationship with her mother, Matilde, was extremely tense. She described her mother as kind, active, intelligent, but also calculating, cruel, and fanatically religious. Oh, my which God. That's, I mean, I feel like that's kind of common for Mexico. But don't. <laughs> your kids will definitely <laughs> describe that you that me. way as fanatically <laughs> religious. <laughs> if they do, I'm going to take them to the hospital for, for a serious check. When Frida was six years old, she contacted polio, which eventually made she her... contacted r- it? She contracted. Did I say contacted? <laughs> she she's like she called it. She's like, excuse me, polio. Hi, my name's Frida. <laughs> Can I get some? She used a dial phone. She <laughs> a rotary phone. Oh my god. Okay. When Frida was six years old, she contracted polio, which eventually made her right leg and foot grow shorter and thinner than her left. Oh. Yeah, there was like some serious side effects to polio back then. The illness forced her to be isolated from her peers for months. When she was finally able to be around other kids, she was bullied. Oh, Poor that's girl. Really sad. My lady was bullied too. Was she? Yeah. Yeah, Rose, that's so creepy. I wish you'd get out of my head, girl. <laughs> She'd been running around in my mind all night long. <laughs> Anyway, while the experience of being bullied made her reclusive, it created a special bond between she and her father due to their shared experience of living with a disability. Later in her life, Frida was quoted as stating this about her father. He was marvelous. He was an immense example to me of tenderness, of work. He was a photographer and also a painter, and above all, in understanding for all my problems. Oh, that's really sweet. That's sweet. She. That was her. Her father taught her about literature, nature, philosophy, and encouraged her to play sports to regain her strength, despite the fact that most physical exercise was seen as unsuitable for girls back then. 
He also taught her photography, and she began to help him retouch, develop, and color photographs. Due to her polio, she began school a year later than her children her age. She and her younger sister, Christina, started kindergarten together, who was a year younger than her. She was homeschooled for the fifth and sixth grades. Christina followed their sisters into a convent school, but Frida was enrolled in a German school, as was her father's wishes, or she was clearly her father's favorite, so... He wanted her to go to German school. Just Well, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say I'm his favorite, but I am. (laughs) Let's face it. (laughs) We know the truth. You know, I even I even have it. I took his phone for him one time (laughs) and saved my number as my favorite daughter. (laughs) So now if I call him, it says my favorite daughter's calling. (laughs) Yeah. When Lynn calls me, it says hot mom. (laughs) And my kids are like, why? Why do you have Lynn as hot mom? Joseph last night, he's like. Is that what you call Lynn, hot mama? <laughs> I was like, no, that's what Lynn calls herself. <laughs> yeah. That's my name. And my daughter set up my original like iPhone and when she was in like middle school. And that's what she gave. That's what she oh, named is that it. that what happened? So that's like all my stuff shows up as hot mom. <laughs> and I never changed it because Lord knows I am a hot mom. <laughs> You're like, all right, all right. Anyway. Oh, so, so she went to the German school. But soon after, she was expelled for disobedience. <laughs> Hence the reason I chose her. And it and was sent to a vocational teacher school. Her stay at the school was brief as she was sexually abused by a female teacher. Oh, my so God. Sad. So I looked up a vocational teacher school and just to make sure that it was similar. So it's similar to what a vocational school is now. It's like, you know, you learn it. Basically, you learn a trade there. Okay. So it's similar. In 1922... Frida was accepted to the elite National Preparatory School, where she focused on natural sciences with the aim of becoming a physician. The institution had only recently begun admitting women with only 35 girls out of 2,000 students. Holy crap. She performed well academically and was an avid, re- was an avid reader and became deeply immense... I'm sorry, deeply immersed and seriously committed to Mexican culture, political activism and issues with social justice. She was very felt very strongly about these things. The school promoted a new sense of Mexican identity that took pride in the country's indigenous heritage and sought to rid itself of the colonial mindset of Europe as a superior to Mexico. Yeah. I so love was that. your family wealthy? I mean, they had to have a, a good amount of money because they sent their kids to right. private schools. That's why I was wondering, like, yeah. is she going because they have money or is it like scholarship? I didn't go down like a rabbit hole on like her parents. Like at, at one point I was hovering over his name, like I, like the mouth stopped and it clicked. It like went to him and I read a little blurb about him and I was like, oh, I'd like to learn more. But right. I'm like, but focus, like, Lynn, focus. I can't do that. <laughs> squirrel, squirrel. Yeah. Freddie became close friends with a group of her classmates who she called Kashakas. Many of them would become leading figures of the Mexican intellectual elite. They were rebellious and against everything conservative and pulled pranks, stage plays, and debated philosophy and Russian classics. Oh, wow. I bet her mom hated that. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) To mask the fact that she was older and to declare herself a daughter of the revolution, she began saying that she had been born on July 7th, my birthday, (laughs) 1910. That's not my birthday. That is your birthday. The year the Mexican Revolution began, which she continued throughout her life. She continued lying about her birthday. She fell in love with Alejandro Gomez Arias, the leader of the group and also her first love. Her parents did not approve the relationship. Arias and Frida were often separated from each other due to political instability and violence of the period. 
So they exchanged very passionate love letters. On 17 September 1925, Frida and her boyfriend Alejandro were on their way home from school. They boarded a bus which was crowded. They sat in the back. The driver attempted to pass an oncoming electric streetcar. The streetcar crashed into the side of the wooden bus, dragging it a few feet. Several passengers were killed in the accident. Alejandro suffered minor injuries and Frida was impaled with an iron handrail that went through her pelvis. Holy shit. Oh my God, it sounds so painful. I read this and I was like, ugh. She later described the injury as the way a sword pierces a bull. The handrail was removed, this freaks me out, by Alejandro and others, which as you can imagine was incredibly painful. Well, they shouldn't have done that because then she started bleeding out. First of all, like you said, you're never supposed to take something that's impaled in a person out until they get to the hospital. But I guess back then, I mean, this is- They didn't know. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't know. I mean, they see this hunk of metal in her pelvis and they're like, (laughs) we got to get it out. We got to get it out. Like, I mean, and I can't even imagine, ugh, like it gives me the chills just to even think about it. Frida suffered many injuries. Her pelvic bone had been fractured. Her abdomen and uterus had been punctured by the rail. Her spine was broken in three places. Her right leg was broken in 11 places. Her right foot was crushed and dislocated. Her collarbone was broken and her shoulder was dislocated. Holy shit. And he just had minor injuries. I'm like, sh- was she not like in the shittiest seat of the entire bus really? for this accident? Well, she oh my die, god! So that's good. I can't even imagine. She spent a month in the hospital and two months recovering at home before being able to return to work. As she continued to experience fatigue and back pain, her doctors ordered X-rays, which revealed that the accident had also displaced three vertebrae. Holy shit! Oh my god! As treatment, she had to wear a plaster corset, which confined her to bed rest for the better part of three months. Oh my god! I can't even imagine like the thought of that a plastic I would... corset plaster oh plaster plaster so they didn't like like a cast yeah right a cast I'm is heard... made of plaster oh yeah my gosh. so she basically was in a body cast that sounds i'm awful. like oh my god Ugh. the accident ended frida's dreams of becoming a physician and caused her pain and illness for the rest of her life a friend was quoted as saying that frida lived dying so sad frida's bed rest was over by late 1927, and she began socializing with her old school friends again, who were now at university involved in student politics. She joined the Mexican Communist Party, which was called the PCM, and was introduced to a circle of political activists and artists, including the exiled Cuban communist Julio Antonio Mella and the Italian-American photographer Tina Modin. Uh, Modotini. In June of 1928, Frida, at age 21, was introduced to Diego Rivera, a Mexican painter. Shortly after their introduction, Frida asked his opinion on her paintings. Riviera was impressed by her works. He was quoted as saying her artwork was as unusual energy of expression, precise delineation of character, and true severity. They had a fundamental plastic honesty and an artistic personality of their own. It was obvious to me that this girl was an authentic authentic artist that was quoted by him yeah soon after meeting because he was very popular a very popular artist of course because he was a man you know yeah of course soon after meeting riviera frida began a relationship with him even though he was 20 years older than her what happened to alejandro i guess they broke up Oh my God! Did he leave her because she was all busted Mangled? up? I don't know. It didn't say. They don't talk about him again. They're like, boom, done. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so soon after meeting Rivera, did I say Riviera? I think he said Rivera. Rivera. Okay. Soon after meeting Rivera, Frida began a relationship with him, even though he was twenty years older than her. And Rose, he was already in two <laughs> common law marriages. <laughs> uh, douche, of course, douchebag. So Frida and. Rivera married in 
21 August 1929. Her parents were less than happy about the marriage. Her parents were quoted as saying it was a marriage between an elephant and a dove. He was a really big dude. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, they held it all back. They, you know, they tried not to they tried to refrain from being honest. Regardless, her father approved her of Rivera, who was wealthy and therefore able to support Frida, who could not work and had to receive expensive medical treatments regularly. The marriage was subject to constant media attention in Mexico in the following years, with articles referring to the couple as simply Diego and Frida. Like many other Mexican women artists at the time, Frida began wearing traditional indigenous Mexican peasant clothing to emphasize her ancestry. Her ancestry. Her ancestry. Long and colorful skirts, embroidered blouses and ponchos, elaborate headdresses, and masses of jewelry. In April of 1932, the couple headed to Detroit, where Rivera had been commissioned to paint murals for the Detroit Institute of Arts. Frida had become much more comfortable with her interactions with the media. Her fluency in English was impressive. She began telling the media that she (laughs) was the better artist of the two of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even though that he was, they were there because he had been commissioned yeah. to do a painting. <laughs> Good for her. I know. I'm like, you go, girl. The year spent in Detroit was difficult, was a difficult time for Frida. She disliked aspects of American society, which she regarded as colonial. Same. And, yeah. And found Americans <laughs> boring. <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. Same, same. <laughs> she disliked being forced to socialize with capitalists such as Henry and Edsel Ford and was angered that many of the hotels in Detroit refused to accept Jewish guests. In a letter to a friend, she wrote that, although, this is her being quoted, although I am very interested in the industrial and mechanical development of the United States, she felt that, a bit of rage against the rich guys here, since I have seen thousands of people in the most terrible misery without anything to eat and with no place to sleep. That is what most impressed me here. It is terrifying to see the rich have parties day and night while thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger. Same girl. I know. Same. And it's still the same. Is it changed? No. Fuck no. Nope. No. No. It's it hasn't actually, changed. I feel like it's gotten worse. I feel like it's worse. No, absolutely. I mean, think about homelessness now compared to then. Yeah. Oh my God. While in Detroit, she found out she was pregnant and scheduled an abortion. The medicine she was given by a doctor didn't work. And I'll get to why she did that in a minute. I mean, not it's her choice, obviously, but I'm just so um, Frida was unsure of what <laughs> I just want you to know that I was looking at this and I'm like, why does it say this? So I guess it autocorrected when I put Frida. It autocorrected to Friday. And I'm like, Friday was unaware. What? <laughs> yeah, why did I write that? I was like, why did I write that? Friday. Who's Friday? <laughs> Frida was unsure if she wanted to or could physically be able to have children because of the issues with her uterus and her oh, pelvis and everything yeah, yeah, in that yeah. accident. So she was afraid. Like She wasn't sure that she was even ready, yeah. period. But she was terrified. How old of, was she? Do you know? Um, this was... I mean, at this point, I feel like... She was 21 when she got married. Young. So 32 <laughs> would have been... She was born in 07. 32 would have been... 25. So 25. Okay. <laughs> you couldn't do that math. I, no, I had to do it on my fingers. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> she began telling... Oh, I'm sorry. That is too young. Yeah, it, you I mean, especially well, and like she just 50. Did, she did, fifty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me back up. So Frida, not Friday, was unsure if she wanted to or could physically have children, and she had already had one abortion early in her marriage. Following the failed abortion, she reluctantly agreed to continue with the pregnancy, but miscarried in July 
which caused a serious hemorrhage that required her being hospitalized for two weeks. Oh, no. I mean, I feel like the damage to her uterus probably her uterus probably just wasn't strong enough to hold a fetus. That's so sad. Especially full term. Because she probably got excited about it. Yeah. At that point, she was like, well, she was she didn't want to, but she reluctantly said that she would because, you know, the abortion didn't take her or whatever. But but then she probably like at a certain point, you become like you get excited about it. It's really sad. It is sad. Less than three months later, her mother died from complications of surgery in Mexico. Although Rivera wished to continue their stay in the United States, Frida was homesick, and they returned to Mexico soon after he completed a mural he was commissioned to paint in December of 1933. Back in Mexico City, Frida and Rivera moved into a new house in a wealthy neighborhood of San Angel. It's like spelled angel, but it's Angel or Angel. Um, <laughs> I, I have it phonetically written here. Angel. Angel. The Bohemian Residency became an important meeting place for artists and political activists from Mexico and all abroad. All around abroad. Abroad. Whatever. <laughs> what? I have no idea. Frida started having health problems again and had to have an appendectomy, two abortions, and the amputation of toes that had gangrene, and her marriage was now on the rocks. Oh, my God. I feel so sorry for her. What the hell? Her husband was less enthusiastic about being back in Mexico and blamed Frida for making him go back. I mean, that does cause a lot of strain. Yeah. If you're... It was known that he had previously been unfaithful, but now he started an affair with her younger sister, Christina. This crushed her. Those Christina bitches. I know fucking They're Christina. The worst. Fucking Christina. Fucking Christina. We hate her. No, we don't. We love her. <laughs> so anyway, in early 1935, she moved to an apartment in central Mexico City and contemplated divorce. She had an affair of her own with an American artist, Isamu Nogachi. I, I don't even know why I tried to say his name. I should have just left <laughs> it out. Later in 1935, she and Rivera reconciled, and she and her sister made amends. That's... I know that's pretty big. That's pretty big. And she ended up be like becoming like like the insanely involved in her sister's children's lives. And she became like the best aunt ever and like like loved her nieces. And I don't know if it was nieces and nephews, but her, you know, her sister's kids. Yeah, Yeah. I have a hard time forgiving my sister. That would be tough. Banging my husband. Yeah. Or you'd be like, here you go. You can have him. Yeah. Um, Maybe she was like, yeah, better you than me. Right. Although they reconciled, Rivera and Frida continued having affairs. In 1936, she picked up working. She picked back up working on political activities. She and Rivera success. <laughs> she and Rivera successfully petitioned the Mexican government to grant asylum to former Soviet leader Leon Trotsky and offered La Casa Azul, which is their home. It's called and now it's called the Blue House, uh, for him and his wife Natalia Sedova as a residence. The couple lived there from January 1937 until April 1939, with Frida and Trotsky not only becoming good friends, but having a brief affair. Of course. After opening an exhibition in Paris, Frida sailed back to New York. She was eager to be reunited with reunited with her former lover, but he decided to end their affair as he had met another woman whom he was planning to marry. Frida traveled back to Mexico City where Rivera filed for a divorce. He stated publicly that the divorce was merely a matter, this is quoted, a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times. There are no sentimental artistic or economic reasons. According to their friends, the divorce was mainly caused by their mutual infidelities. 
I think so. At least it was mutual. Well, I mean, either be a swinger or not. You got to choose. Yeah, right. The divorce was granted November 1939, but they remained friendly. She continued to manage his finances and correspondence. After her separation from Rivera, Frida moved back to La Casa Azul. She was determined to earn her own living, so she became hyper-focused on her art, mostly inspired by her experiences abroad. Excited by the notoriety she was receiving, she went from using small tin sheets for her art, which she had been using since 1932, to large canvases as they were easier to display and sell in the art world. She adopted a more sophisticated technique, limited to the graphic details, and began to produce more quarter-length portraits, which were selling much faster in the art market at the time. She painted several of her most famous pieces during this period, such as The Two Fridas in 1939, her self-portrait with cropped hair in 1940, The Wounded Table in 1940, and self-portrait with thorn necklace and hummingbird in 1940. So just a little FYI, you guys, we have a, my sister is an art major, and she gave us a bunch of she I told her I was doing Frida Kellis. She's so excited. And she gave us like this huge coffee table book of Frida Kellis. I mean, I can barely lift it, you guys. And it has like all of her artwork in it. Oh, wow. And I was like, don't bring it down here because Rose and I are going to spill something on it <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it has like all of her art. <gasps> See? See? I almost did. Almost oh did. Oh it has all God. of her artwork in it. I can't even lift the book. So anyway, it's it's kind of cool. We'll look at it during our break. On 21st August 1940, Trotsky was assassinated in Koyo-Akan. Frida was be- br- briefly suspected of being involved as she knew the murderer and was arrested and held for two days with her sister, Christina. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Her name is Frida and her sister's name is Christina. Yeah, that's that's hard. That's a lot. And then Margarita. Like, I know, but Frida and Margarita, those are kind of like unique names. And then yeah. Christina, so plain. That's yeah. the worst name ever, I think. It's, it's <laughs> such a bitch. I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> the following month, Frida traveled to San Francisco for her medical treatment for back pain and a fungal infection in her hand. Her ever-so-fragile health had been declining since her divorce and was intensified by her overuse of drugs and alcohol. Oh, no. Frida. Rivera also fled to San Francisco following Trotsky's murder and was commissioned to do some work there. Even though Frida had a relationship with her art dealer during her visit to San Francisco, she and Rivera reconciled. They remarried in a simple ceremony on December 8th of 1940. Frida and Rivera returned to Mexico soon after their wedding. Their relationship was much more loving than the previous five years. They were more independent by this time, and while... La Casa Azul was their primary residence. Rivera retained the San Angel house for his studio and second apartment. I know I'm saying wrong, that wrong, you guys. I tried so hard. Both continued having extramarital affairs. Frida, being bisexual, who knew? This first time we heard that. Wow. Had affairs with both men and women, with evidence suggesting that her male lovers were more important to Frida than her female lovers. Oh, girl, that's not very smart to make. Public note. Frida's health problems continued throughout the 1940s. Due to her spinal problems between 1940 and 1954, she wore 28 separate corsets, varying from steel and leather to plaster. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine the pain she was in. And then the next sentence. She experienced pain in her legs. (laughs) (laughs) The infection in her hand had become chronic, and she was also treated for syphilis. Well, that's what happens with the affairs. Syphilis? Yeah. Yeah, that's because you're sleeping with everyone Well, yeah. Between the two of them, they're having sex with everybody in the freaking country. Or the world, for that matter. (laughs) 
The death of her father in 1941 put her in a deep depression. Her poor health made her homebound for longer and longer periods. She enjoyed taking care of La Casa Azul and its garden and many friends and exotic animals to keep her company. She actually had like spider monkeys. And oh, like really? big That's birds really cool. and stuff like that, yeah. While Frida was more and more popular in her home country, her health continued to decline. By the mid-1940s, her back had worsened to the point that she could no longer sit or stand continuously. In June of 1945, she traveled to New York for an operation with fu- which fused a bone graft and steel support to her spine to straighten it. The difficult operation was a failure. Can you no, even imagine? No. According to friends, Frida was also also sabotaged her recover sabotaged her recovery by not resting as required and by once physically reopening her wounds in a fit of anger. What I mean, I, in the world? But honestly, Rose, I mean, I can't imagine not being angry that she's in all this pain. Like I think I'd be like continuously pissed off. Like if I were yeah, her. Yeah, I mean like, I don't blame her, but I mean, I think it would become like a mental challenge to be not pissed off. Yeah. Right. Her paintings from this period, such as The Broken Column in 1944, Without Hope in 1945, Tree of Hope, Standing Fast in 1946, and The Wounded Deer in 1946, reflected her declining health. In 1950, Frida spent most of the year in the hospital in Mexico City, where she underwent a new bone graft surgery on her spine. It calls it caused a difficult infection and warranted several follow-up surgeries. After being discharged, she was again mostly confined to La Casa Azul, using a wheelchair and crutches in order to be mobile. During these final years of her life, Frida dedicated her time to political causes to the extent that her health allowed. She had rejoined the Mexican Communist Party in 1948 and and campaigned for peace. In 1953, toward the end of her short life, Frida was excited to be opening her first solo exhibition in Mexico. At the time, she was completely on bed rest by under doctor's orders, and nobody expected her to make it to her exhibition. However, she made sure she was going to be there. Oh, good for her. She arrived at the gallery in an ambulance and ordered that she be brought in on a stretcher and moved to a bed where she was able to enjoy the opening. <laughs> Well, good oh for her. That's like, awesome. She's like, this is my first exhibit. Yeah, I'm not right. missing this. And I'm I'm like, yes. Sadly, her right leg was amputated at the knee due, in, due to gangrene in 1953. She became, that's the same year that all that happened. She became severely depressed and anxious at her dependency on painkillers. Her dependency on painkillers escalated. When Rivera began yet another affair, she attempted suicide by overdose. She wrote in her diary in February of 1954, They amputated my leg six months ago. They have given me centuries of torture, and at moments I almost lost my reason. I keep on wanting to kill myself. Diego is what keeps me from it. Through my vain idea that he would miss me, but never in my life have I suffered more. I will wait a while. In her last days, Frida was mostly bedridden with bronchial pneumonia, though she made a public appearance on July 2nd, 1954, participating with Rivera in a demonstration against the CIA invasion of Guatemala. She seemed to anticipate her death as she spoke about it to visitors and drew skeletons and angels in her diary. The last drawing was a black angel, which her biographer interprets as the angel of death. It was accompanied by the last words she wrote, I joyfully await the exit and I hope never to return, Frida. The demonstration took a toll on her body, and on the night of July 12, 1954, she had a high fever and was in extreme pain. At approximately 6 a.m. on July 13, 1954, her her nurse found her dead in her bed. Frida was 47 years old. 
Oh, that's it. Jeez, so, so young. young. I mean, to go through all of that pain, like her whole life was yeah. pain. It's so sad. The official cause of death was pulmonary embolism, although no op- no autopsy was performed. Her biographer has argued that Frida, in fact, committed suicide. The nurse who counted Frida's painkillers in order to monitor her drug use stated that Frida had taken an overdose the night she died. She had been prescribed a maximum dose of seven pills, but had taken 11. I mean, I can't, I mean, I would too. I, I mean, would, I can't yeah. even imagine I the mean, amount of pain she was, she was in. She was in so much pain. I don't blame her. She had also given Rivera a wedding anniversary present that evening over a month in advance. In the On the evening of 13 July... Frida's uh, Frida's body was taken to the Palacio de Bellas Artes, where it lay in state. The following day, it was carried to the Panteon Civil de Dolores, which is the largest cemetery in Mexico, where friends and family attended an informal funeral ceremony. Hundreds of admirers stood out. Hundreds of admirers stood outside in accordance with her wishes. Frida was cremated. Rivera, who stated that her death was, in quotes, the most tragic day of my life. He died three years later in 1957. After Frida's death, Rivera had La Casa Azul redesigned as a museum dedicated to her life. The Frida Kahlo Kahlo Museum opened to the public in 1958, a year after Rivera's death. The diary of Frida Kahlo covering the years of 1944 to 1954 and the letters of Frida Kahlo were both published in 1995. Frida's ashes are are displayed in a pre-Columbian urn at La Casa Azul, which opened as a museum in 1958, which I already said. The Tate Modern, that's a that's a museum in London. I actually got to go there with Mary, which was oh, really, really cool. Yeah, the Tate Modern considers Frida, and they quoted this, one of the most significant artists in the 20th century. And according to art historian Elizabeth Bakewell, Frida is, in quotes, one of the most one of Mexico's most important 20th century figures. Frida's reputation as an artist developed late in her life and grew even further subsequently, as during her lifetime, she was primarily known as the wife of Diego Rivera and as an eccentric personality among the international culture elite, cultural elite. That's so funny because you don't know his name, but everyone knows her name. Yeah, right. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, I'm sure people in the art world probably know his name, but not like her. Yeah. I mean, I know her name and I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, She gradually gained more recognition in the late 1970s when feminist scholars began to question the exclusion of female non-Western artists from the art historical canon and the Chicano movement lifted her as one of their icons. Isn't that cool? By 1984, Frida's reputation as an artist had grown to such extent that Mexico declared her works part of the national cultural heritage, prohibiting their export from the country. Which that's super cool. They're like, no, they're so great. They're not leaving. As a result, her paintings seldom appear. Her paintings seldom appear in international auctions, and comprehensive retrospectives are rare. Regardless, her paintings have still broken records for Latin American art in the 1990s and 2000s. In 1990, she became the first Latin American artist to break the one million dollar threshold when her piece Diego and I was auctioned by Sotheby's for $1,430,000. Oh, wow. How cool is that? It gives me goosebumps. Like, it totally does. In 2006, Roots, which was a piece that she did in 1943, reached $5.6 million. And in 2016, her piece named Two Lovers in a Forest sold for $8 million. Holy shit. She, consider, she is considered one of the most instantly recognizable artists whose face has been used in the same regularity and often with a shared symbolism as 
as images of Che Guevara, uh, who, who was a major figure of the Cuban Revolution, or Barb Mar- Bob Marley. So, like, they're saying her face is as recognizable as, like, Bob Marley. Yeah, that's crazy. Or this other guy who was a Cuban revolutionist. Frida's popular appeal is seen to stem first and foremost from a fascination with her life story, especially its painful and tragic aspects. She has become an icon for several minority groups and political movements, such as feminists, the LGBTQ community, and Chicanos. Aw, that's really sweet. Isn't that a good story? I was like trying to figure out who to do. And I was looking at her. I'm like, oh, my. Oh, my. When I got to the bus accident, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, that yeah, is crazy. Terrible. She had a tough life. I mean, she really, really did. And she's just like, um, I mean, she's and she's very like her pictures. If you've ever seen like she if, if you don't if you're listening to this and you have no idea who she is, you think about any artwork you've ever seen of like a, um, a Latino woman who has like almost like a unibrow. Um, if you've ever seen her and she has like red lipstick on and she has like a little bit of a mustache, that's her. So I'm looking in this big book right now to see if I can find the one where it was like Diego and I to see if I could find that piece because I have no idea which piece it is. But I mean, like her stuff is just like amazing. And she just like owned who she was. But like this is one of the ones where like when she talks about her surgeries and stuff, like some of oh, her paintings wow. are like of all the scars in her body. Yeah, There's one. I can't. So it's like this. It's like a picture of her body naked with these like straps, like brace around it. And in the middle of her body, it's like cut open and it's like steel rod going through it. And my sister would be like, I can't believe you don't remember the name of that. Oh, it's called The Broken Column. Oh. I think that's the name of the piece. But it's like insane. Yeah, I think you talked about that one. Yeah, and it's just like it like the pieces and um so one of the things that I have I learned my sister is an art history major and one of the things I learned I went to as I said I went to the Tate Modern when we were in London. I went with my sister and my mom and I learned I went to you know you go to museums and if you're like me you're like I'm so ADD and I walk around I'm like yeah that's neat oh that's pretty oh I like that oh that's neat yeah you know whatever and then when you go to a museum with somebody that knows something about the art yeah it's so cool because she was saying and this brings me to what like some of um, Frida's work is that they're like my sister was like, oh, this is this artist, and he was going through this period of his life during this painting. Yeah, so you kind of see. Yeah, and it's yeah. like they're, like, dark, right. or they're, like, really bright and colorful. Yeah. And and so with her, like, the pictures of her when she was in all this pain were, like, you know, were definitely things that people, you know, under, you know, like, you understood. You as, understand. Yeah, yeah and it's right. so cool really to be to able it. to go to something like that and understand it. Um, oh, so this is my nurse and I. Look at that. Yeah, that's a crazy one. That's a really crazy one. But yeah, they're absolutely, I mean, it's it's cool. So if you can ever go to a museum, sorry, I was putting the book back because I don't want to fuck it up. If you ever go to a museum and you can get like an actual um, docent to take you around and go on a tour, right? like understand each piece of work, it's so much better than just walking through by yourself because it's it enlightens you and you're learning. So I challenge you guys to give it a try. That's how I am at any museum. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great, 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 great. That's I know. Cool. Yeah, and I walk through <laughs> and I'm like, lunch. okay, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do they have a snack bar in here? <laughs> a snack bar? Snack bar. Where's the gift shop? I'm going to go to the gift <laughs> yes, shop and walk around. But yeah, when you go with somebody that knows what the hell's going on, it's so much cooler. Yeah, so. I can understand that. I think it's time to refresh our drinks, Rose. I think so, too. All right, we'll be back, guys. I'm going to dig around with my finger for a cherry. <laughs> <laughs> you dirty hoe. <laughs> 
Hey, Rose, we're back. Oh, God, what was that? <laughs> it's time to change. You've got to rearrange. She's going through the change of life. Who you are and what y'all gonna do. -na 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 -na. Do you know that song, Rose? <laughs> Everyone just turned -na 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 -na. the podcast off. <laughs> we, just, we lost all our listeners. <laughs> the listeners went from four to three. <laughs> four to one. More. Four to one. That one is my mom. <laughs> no, she left a long she time left ago. She left Yeah, that's true. The one is... No, have you... Do you remember that song? Chris. I do, yeah. <sighs> I think only because you sing it all the time. Oh, my nose. Oh, my nose. Same thing. Same, same. What is that? The Brady Bunch, when Marsha gets hit with the no oh, hit in the nose. Oh, oh, oh. And it's like, Mom always said, don't throw balls in the house. Yeah. And then Marsha gets hit. Oh, my nose. Right before her date with the big boy on campus, whatever his name That's was. the only episode I remember. Dirk Bailey or whatever his name was. Anyway, so um, I just have to tell you guys, these cocktails are oh, amazing. They are so good. So, again, I'll go over the ingredients. So it's like bourbon. It's very good bourbon. It's a local bourbon. Maple syrup. Lemon juice, fresh lemon juice, and orange, and oh, and then a really good cherry, and then a twist of orange. Oh my god, they're so good! So it's just the orange peel. It's just the orange peel, but you tw when you twist it, it the like it, it, the like out. poof, it does a little poof, poof, <laughs> poof, poof of the effervescence. Eff <laughs> <laughs> She's had too many. No, I haven't. She's had like I haven't had enough. Six so far. No, Rose, <laughs> you bitch. I have not. I'm, I'm on my third. No, it's my second one. Second and a quarter. <laughs> I had to go upstairs on a break to make them because it's quite messy. And I have like literally maple syrup and cherry juice and everything. At least I'm not fingering my drink like Rose is. So anyway, Rose, you want to tell us who you're talking about today? No. No. I'm ready to go home. You're talking about Lynn Pontillo, uh, yeah. the baddest bitch in oh town. Oh, my God. Could you imagine that story? She bad, bad Lynn Pontillo, <laughs> baddest bitch in the whole damn town. <laughs> I need, like, <laughs> the whole hour and a half to myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We just have a quiet time. Do you want to meditate? Do you maybe, want to do quiet no, time? No, I'm going to do your story. It would take me an hour and a half. Oh, God. I think it would take, I think it would have to be a, a mini series. Can you imagine that? If we did a story a about me, it would no. It would be like it would be a whole season. A whole season. <laughs> it, cause just from the time I was like born until I was ten would be, yeah, I mean, four episodes for sure. Your mom would be. I'd have your mom as a guest here, mm. and she'd. Whew. She doesn't remember having me though, because back then you were knocked out. Yeah, that wasn't the hard part. It was when you came out, and then the rest of. Her life. And I was a beautiful little girl. Yeah, I'm sure you were. And my mom would stay up until four in the morning on the night before Easter sewing our dresses because she determined she was determined to make our Easter dresses. Oh, really? And she would wait until the last minute. And same with Christmas, Easter, all that stuff. Like the night before, she would spend like she'd be up until like three in the morning sewing hems and stuff in our dresses. Oh my God. And we, it was kind of like fun. I mean, I, I know it wasn't fun for her, but we'd wake up in the morning and she would like have it laid out like on her yeah, bed or whatever yeah. and it would be all done and we'd be so excited. Aww. Yeah, it was kind of, I made all my daughter's dresses for that stuff too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I made it from Carter's. <laughs> no, but I did. I made them for many years and then one year I was like in the, oh, I knew where I was. I was in Sam's and they had these like 
really cute, very Italian looking um, Christmas dresses for girls. And I was like, these are like $29.99. And I spend that in just notions, like which is notions, you know what that is? No. When you're buying the stuff for to make something, the notions are like the buttons and the zippers oh, and the, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. I spend twenty nine ninety nine on just the notions. That's not even the fabric oh, really? to make a dress. And Jeez. not to mention the hours and hours and hours yeah, of... what were you thinking? Well, and for me, because I'm not really good at sewing, the hours and hours of sewing it and then tearing it apart and re-sewing it because you sewed it backwards or upside down or whatever, which I did many, many, many times. You're crazy. You were like super mom. Yeah, I was. <clears throat> and not to mention you had like a douchebag husband. Oh, Husbands. he did nothing. He did 100%. Well, right. no, so let me take like... that back. He was a very good financial provider for our family. I don't yeah. want to say he did nothing. He was a financial provider, but that's where it stopped. He wasn't an emotional or physical like. Or didn't help at all. Yeah, no. It was, I got up every night, did all the feedings. I got up every morning, got them up to school. I did it all. He did never help with that stuff. I could stuff. never be with a guy like that. Kill him and bury him in the backyard. Yeah, well. Then you'd be talking about me on this podcast. I didn't have to. And look where I am now. I mean. Just living the dream. Just <laughs> me and Penelope. <laughs> You know what? My kids are so much stronger for all the shit that I went through. Honestly, they're they're strong kids and they I mean, it's just yeah, it's pretty cool. Lots of therapy. Just let y'all know Rose is looking at her watch. Because I just hit it and it went weird. It did something weird and Mm. vibrated. Were you fingering it like you were the the cherry? (laughs) You wish. (laughs) Wasn't my cherry. You weren't born when that was when I lost that. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that. Okay, okay. Let me talk about my lady. Okay. Born on September 6, 1860. Another oldie. Another oldie but goodie. In the small farming town of Cedarville, Illinois, Jane Adams was the the eighth of nine children. Have you heard of Jane Adams? Jane Adams. I can't say I have. You may know her. I don't know. She's, I think I I I knew her. Let me check my friends on Facebook. Hold on. No, I don't know her. (laughs) Your friends list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. is she, wait, let me look at my Christmas card list. Nope, not there either. <laughs> when she was just two years old, her mother died in childbirth, and by the time she was eight, four of her siblings had died, three in infancy and one at the age of 16. Wait, wait, back up. So she was two when her mother delivered her? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, she was the eighth of nine children. You, the look on your face, you're like, what is she talking about? <laughs> So when she was two, her mother died giving birth to one of her siblings. The baby survived, but her mother died. And then four of her siblings died. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Did they all die at the same time or like from an illness? It's gradual. Okay. So three died in infancy. So that was really common back then. And then one at the age of 16. God knows what that. Probably some sort of farming accident back then. Or like, you know, TB or who knows. Bear. A bear. Maybe a bear ate him. They're in, oh, in Illinois. Yeah. Do they have I mean, bears in Illinois? I mean, I think there are bears everywhere. Well, there's the Chicago Bears. <laughs> so maybe they do have oh, bears yeah. in Illinois. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here all week. <laughs> when she was four, she contracted, not contacted, tuberculosis of the spine. I hate you. <laughs> also known as POTS disease. Also which, known as what? POTS. Pot TTS. I don't know that I ever heard that. Which caused a curvature in her spine and lifelong health problems. Oh. Just like your girl, Frida. Yeah. 
That's so weird. I know. Isn't yeah. that weird that we picked people who are same? Had spine issues. Yeah, that's crazy. So this obviously made her childhood really tough because she couldn't run or play with other children. And mm-hmm. she was really teased a lot. And everybody was so hardworking back then. Like the kids and stuff, like everybody worked. So yeah. she couldn't do anything. I, I can't know. imagine. Like, oh my God, well, her siblings probably hated her because she just had to sit around while they all did all the work. Probably. But they were from a wealthy, wealthy family. So oh, I don't so know maybe if not. they had maybe like. Sure, they had a bunch of slaves. Well, anyway. Oh, well, maybe not in Illinois. Maybe. No, maybe not in Illinois. Anyway. Well, this was 1860, so I won't she presume. didn't have slaves, but, you know. They might have had, like... Some maids and yeah. stuff. Oh, my God. Oh. <clears throat> so when she was a child, she thought she was really ugly, and she wouldn't walk down the street with her father because when he was, like, in his Sunday best because she thought she would embarrass him. Oh, it was the saddest no, thing you've ever so heard. so sad. Poor Jane. You're not ugly, girl. Oh, my gosh. So, fortunately, she did grow up with privilege. Her dad was one of the wealthiest people in town, and she absolutely adored him. John H. Adams, her father, was a founding member of the Illinois Republican Party, fought in the Civil War, served as an Illinois state senator, and supported his friend Abraham Lincoln in his (laughs) catatonic state. Is that what you were going to say? Cat... Oh, my gosh. uh, (laughs) Candidates... I can say it, but I'm reading it and now it's yeah, candidate candidacy for senator and the presidency. You didn't say it. I'm not gonna say it. People know what we're talking about. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking when you said um Illinois that like Abe. Abe is like very fam- yeah, very famous exactly. in Illinois, yeah. So they were BFFs. Good old Abe. He was the president of the second. Did you hear it? Did you go? I always do that and hate it because I have to edit it all out. Go like this instead. (laughs) (laughs) He was the president of the second National Bank of Freeport. James. Oh, you did it again. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to call you out every time. Rose goes. I don't know why. But see, I go. I don't. (laughs) When I talk and she goes. So we're just a bunch of freaks over here. So I'm going to call you out every time you do it. And we don't do it when we're talking normally. It's no. just when we're recording. Yeah. So Jane always talked about how her father kept a letter from Lincoln on his desk. And she mm-hmm. loved to go in and look at it when she was little. Like, you know, a letter oh, from the so president. Cool. Yeah. Like, she like, thought it was really cool. Yeah. Because, like, my mom had, like, some jewelry when I was little. Uh, that was, like, my grandmother's and great aunts or whatever. And I remember looking at it and yeah. just, like, loving it. It was in her jewelry box. And I would just go in there and look at it and just, like, just touch it and love it. And, Charlotte yeah. loves to go into my jewelry box and look at my stuff. Well, your shit's not worth anything, so it doesn't matter. People probably think I only have one kid named Charlotte. <laughs> I think she's the only one I talk about. Well, I mean, but Lily can't really do much at this point. I mean, she does a lot. I know, but you can't. She like, terrorizes not... us like you wouldn't believe. I know, but she doesn't have, like, her Facebook set up or anything yet. Well, she might. I mean, you don't know what she's doing in her room. She doesn't go to sleep for like an hour and a half after oh you put her to bed. That's so funny. She has every toy in the room in her bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> me too, girl. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Just like her Aunt Lynn. Chris will not like that. <laughs> so... Her father remarried in 1868 when Jane was just eight years old. And it sounded like Jane and her um, stepmother had a really good relationship. Oh, she was, wow, that's great. She was eight, so and she lost her mother when she was two, so she didn't really know her. Yeah, so she looked at so her So she was probably like mother, looking yeah. for a mother figure. and Especially then, because men were so, like, and, and not to be, like, sexist or anything, but men were so busy back then, like, trying to, yeah, like, provide for the family. So nine he, children. Yeah, I well, can't even. Four, 
died in infancy, so. But he had a lot of still a lot but, of children. Five so children. where was she? Do you, do you know where she was in the? She was eight out of nine. Eight. Oh, so she had a bunch of older siblings. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure they took care of her and the baby. There was a baby under her. So her mom, who's her stepmother, but she considered her her mom, was very involved in helping the less fortunate in their town. And Jane loved to read Charles Dickens. And so she became very interested in doing something that would help change the world for the less fortunate. And so she decided to become a doctor. Oh, wow. That's what she wanted to do. Oh, wait. I think I know who this is. She's not a doctor. Oh. <laughs> Shut up right Spoiler. now. Spoiler. <laughs> so um, her father definitely wanted her to go to college, but he wanted her to go to Rockford Female Seminary, which was nearby. But she wanted to go to Smith College, which was the new college for women in Massachusetts. And I guess he didn't want her to go that go far away. So he was paying. So she went to Rockford, of oh, course. Yeah. And she graduated in 1881 at the top of her class. Oh, wow. But later that summer, her father died suddenly from an appendicitis. I know. Back then, everybody just died. Like I know. Well, it's like, I mean, appendicitis now. I know. You won't. I have two kids that survived it. I mean, you know, they were both in the hospital for a week, but they yeah. both survived it. Right. That scares me. I'm always, whenever my kids say they have a stomachache, I'm like, oh my God. Do you know how to, you know how to the, I'm going to tell you something really weird. What? Do you know how to, to tell if it's appendicitis? How? If your kid lays on their back, flat on their back, and you pull on their left, I'm sorry, on their right big toe. If it hurts, it's appendicitis. Oh, really? So Casey had appendicitis, just a little side note. And it was it was like she was doubled over in pain. And I was and she doesn't Casey like she was I said to her, I was like, do you we were driving home from Virginia Beach? And I was like, do you want to go to the do you want to go to the hospital? Because I just couldn't like wrap my brain around how much pain she was in. Yeah. And I said, do you just want to wait till tomorrow and go to see our family doctor? And she said, I think we should go to the hospital. And I was like, oh, shit, she's in a lot of pain. Yeah. So uh, Casey was also the kid that like faked being sick so she could stay home from school a lot. So at this point, I was like, when she said that, I was like, she's in a lot of pain. So we went to the hospital. And that's when like right off the interstate on 64, like Martha was just had the outpatient center. It wasn't even the hospital built there yet. And so we went there and the doctor was so weird and kind of like goofy and like kind of eclectic and and he was like yeah and he was like poking at her and stuff and then he goes around to her foot and pulls on her toe and I'm like what do you think she's gonna fart now like what are you doing <laughs> like I, it's so weird I was like looking at him like because I was stressed she was in pain and he was like I know you yeah, think you're I'm, like why are you playing games? yeah no and he's like I know you think I'm weird but and when he pulled on her toe she about came out of her skin oh wow and he said this is something a lot of people don't know but if you pull there's something about a nerve and that's how you can tell if it's appendicitis and I was like holy but by the time she got like so they took her over to the hospital yeah. right away and by the time she got the into surgery, like somewhere between going to the outpatient ER and getting to the hospital, her appendix her appendix ruptured. Oh my and god! And so she was, you know, on her way to surgery when this happened, and so they were able to Thank clean god. it up. But she was in the hospital for a full week because she kept getting like she couldn't like break the fever. Yeah, that's um, crazy. But then Chris caught it from her, which nobody thinks that appendicitis is contagious, and it's not. Technically, but there's studies that show that there's some virus that can trigger appendicitis. Oh, wow. And so they, Chris was there with me in the hospital like the whole time with her. And they found out that, so like my sister was telling a bunch of her friends about it. And one of her friends was like, oh my God, there's a study going on that there's like a virus that you don't even realize, like it's like a non, like no symptom kind of virus. Yeah. 
that can cause appendicitis flare-up. And so he, like, two weeks after Casey had appendicitis and he was in the hospital, had her appendix removed, he went, he moved to New York and was in the hospital within a week of being in New York. Holy shit. And had That's appendicitis. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? That's like um, ear infections. <clears throat> like, they say ear infections aren't contagious. And I think for the most part they aren't. But in a daycare setting, multiple kids at one time will get an ear infection. And maybe it's just because they get a Well, it's like a snotty cold. nose, yeah, though. Yeah, right. So if they pass around a bunch of, like, a cold. Yeah, I guess that's true. Then everybody's getting, like, and they're all, like, laying down. Yeah, and they're little. And that's the problem with little kids is they're laying back and yeah. all that shit's going right into their sinus cavity. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, we've had lots of ear infections in my house. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry to sidetrack you, Rose. So when her father died, she inherited, inherited. Inherited? <laughs> inherited about $50,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. Which in today's money is, what's your guess? $50,000 in 18 what-ish? 1881. So $50,000 then is like like uh, $1.5 million now? Wow. Was I right? 1.4. What? That's crazy. Oh, Good job. <laughs> I can't believe I even guessed that. That's like crazy. This that is what happens when I drink. I become smarter. <laughs> drink L- some more. Look out. Fucking Biden. I'm kicking over presidency because I'm making another drink. <laughs> JK, I'm not taking over the presidency. Okay. So that fall, Jane, her sister Alice, and Alice's husband Harry, her, her brother-in-law, and their stepmother Anna moved to Philadelphia so that the three of them, Alice, Jane, and Harry, could go to medical school. Wow. Harry was already a doctor at that point. But he wanted to um, continue his education at the University of Pennsylvania. Jane and Alice completed their first year of medical school at the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. But Jane's health problems caused her um, to need a spinal operation, and she had a nervous breakdown. Another freaking spinal operation. What I know. Rose? It's like, it's like we planned this shit. I know. It's so weird. So they ended up going back to Cedarville, and she was, you know, very, like, depressed about it, oh, obviously. Sure. Um, so the following fall, her brother-in-law, Harry, performed surgery on her back to straighten it. And I know, because he was a doctor. Isn't that oh, crazy? my God. Yeah, you're never supposed to I don't, operate on your well, own Well, now you siblings. can, but in 1885 oh or whatever like, this yeah. is. <laughs> um, so he tells her that she shouldn't go to school anymore and that she should just travel instead. Which is kind of funny because I'm like, don't you usually say that to someone who's like about to die? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah and she that's wasn't true. about to die, but maybe it caused her too much stress. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like, well, maybe, I mean, like, and I, I think about it in the very most, in the most basic ways. Like, is it her, like, sitting in a classroom is killing her oh, back? Oh, maybe you might be right. Yeah. Um, and she had all this money. So she agrees. And in August 1883, she goes on a two year tour of Europe, Ugh. a two year. Oh, my God. I know. I was so jealous when I read that. Oh, my God. I just want to go on, like, a week tour of Europe. But, you know, whatever. With her stepmom, and she would meet up with friends and family on the way, like, along, you know, Mm -hmm. because she was there for two whole years. Oh, my God. Two years. So after she returns to Cedarville, she kind of falls into a depression because she's not feeling fulfilled. Um, Women back then were expected to kind of you know, get married and start a family. And she didn't want to do that. That Yeah, and if you don't, you're a spinster or whatever. Yeah, right. And she was not interested in that at all. And so she was really confused about her role as a woman. And she questions the social pressures on a woman to marry and devote her life to family because 
that was not what she wanted. So, and I think, I feel like we still have that pressure today. You know what I mean? Oh, women absolutely. are kind of expected to marry and have kids. And now a lot of women don't want to do that because. Right. No, and it's, it's, I have a friend who at some point decided like, oh, I've got to get married because what if I want to have kids? And she was like in her late 20s. She's like, I've got to have kids, you know, because the, you know, the pressure of like having kids yeah, before you're 34 right. or whatever the age is. And, and so she went ahead and like kind of pushed, she was dating somebody that she was serious about, but pushed forward. And then, then they started having a talk and they're like, what if we don't have kids? Like, but society put that pressure on her to get married right. and start having you kids. Think that's just how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And she started like thinking, do I really want to have kids? And she and her husband were like, I don't know, do you want, I don't know. And they're both very like, self-sufficient and very much about themselves and like buying things for themselves and yeah, earning right. money and I mean they don't like overspend but they're they have and I, I don't want to say selfish because it's not selfish it's just like they have their lifestyle they like to live right. and they both decided we don't want to bring kids into this and I think it was a smart idea for them and they they made that choice but my god the you know the the older people in their lives were like so when are you having kids yeah, when are you having yeah, kids like, when oh are you having god, kids what are you doing and she's like and I just, it just, it's like so inappropriate. And now it's becoming more accepted. You know what I mean? But yeah, absolutely. But this was you just know, a few years ago. This was like less than ten years yeah. ago, and it was not. Yeah, it right. was not at all. And you know, after I had Joseph, Joseph was a, a oops baby when I was twenty. And oops, I did it again. <laughs> a happy accident. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I. But never, were you I happy? Had, I, I I was happy actually when yeah. that I was pregnant with Joseph. Yeah. Um, the rest of it I wasn't very happy about. But I had never thought I would have children. Like, I never wanted children. Oh, I had I worked with children, and I, I just had no interest. And then I got pregnant, and I was I was really happy about it. And I was really happy to have Joseph, and I loved being a mom. Yeah. But And then I've had, you know, two kids since. And I, I love being a mom, but I can see how it's it does drain you. I mean, it's oh, really, absolutely. really hard. Yeah. I always wanted to be a mom. I couldn't. So when my sister and I were younger— um, my older sister is two years older than me, and we were very close growing up. Like, because you know, we were like at, together at my grandmother's. We always had to like make up games and play games. So, yeah. Like, we were like close, and we hated each other and beat the hell out of each other. But we oh, were yeah. also close, just like siblings. <clears throat> so when we were younger, um, and we had forgotten about this until somebody reminded us later on in life, she was going to, I was going to stay home and watch. The kids, we were both going to have kids, and I was going to live next door. This is what we told people, and she was going to be a school teacher, and I was going to stay home and watch our kids. <laughs> and we were live, and then so when we did both get married, I lived one mile from her. Oh, it was really? like one or two miles oh, from wow. her, and um, she worked. Um, she no, she stayed. She was working, but then when she had kids, she started staying home, and then I stayed home too. And then so, we'd watch each other's kids intermittently. But it was kind of funny because that was our little plan from when we were like, you know, <gasps> elementary school. And so it was kind of cool oh, that, that you know, cool. it's like yeah, it's like oh, my mom. I think my mom told us. She's like, do you guys remember saying this? And it was so funny. Yeah. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. So. I mean, I love being a mom, but it's a lot. Of, it's really hard. No, it is hard. And until I can honestly say it's a th- thankless job. Oh, for, yeah, for sure. Until they are the ages of my kids. Yeah. That's when and I if anybody would have ever told me anything when my kids were, you know, when they're toddlers and stuff, it's rough and you get deal with it or whatever. But when they're preteens and oh, it's, it's horrible, yeah. it's really bad. If anybody would have ever told me that it gets so much better, I think I would have been able to handle it better. Yeah. I didn't handle it the best way. I handle it the best way I knew how. I was 
cannot say I was the greatest mother yeah. in the world. I can say that I made bad choices. Not like bad, horrible. But Yeah, but I can I say mean, that too yeah. about Joseph's preteen. Yeah. Like things that happen that I look back on and I'm like, oh my right, gosh, but, why did I do that? But it gets, when they become like 17, 18, it's still a little tough. But when they become adults, like after college or like college age, it's like a whole, like, the sun starts shining on your yeah. relationship and they're such good humans. And then when they get out of college or that past that age of college, they like you see them developing and learning and loving life and yeah. becoming their own person. And you're like your heart becomes like huge, just as huge as the minute they were born. Yeah. It's the coolest Aww. thing. Like, but nobody told me that. Everyone's like, oh, you just wait till those girls are 12. And I'm like, oh, my God, kill me now. Yeah, yeah. preteen was definitely the uh, hardest. You just wait till the girls. Oh, well, I, 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 no. I sense that either you or them are going to come live with me at some point. Probably <laughs> me. I'll leave them with Chris. <laughs> oh, my God. They're so awful when they're that age. But when they're young women, they're so cool. And you just like, I mean, my daughters yeah, are I know. badass. I, I really can't wait. Like, I don't want to rush their childhood or anything, but I can't wait till they're. Yeah, you're 26. I can't wait for you to turn 26. <laughs> or even like college age where they kind of, you know, realize that you're not a horrible bitch. Yeah, and you go drink with them and stuff, yeah. I know. Right now they still really love me and want to snuggle. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. That doesn't happen. Charlotte's sick and we snuggled today and we both fell asleep and it was super sweet. Yeah, but when you like then when you start taking her to school and she's like, just let's stay in the car. No, don't yeah. come out. No. No, don't. No. <laughs> she's like that to Chris. That's funny. <laughs> she still loves me so much. But yeah. Aww. But now Joseph likes Chris better. Like when he was starting to drive, doing like driver's ed and all that, and we had to do he gets his license tomorrow actually. Oh my god. He um I I was like, Oh, so who do you want to drive? Like, do you want to drive with me or dad? Thinking he would for sure say me. Yeah. He was like, Oh dad. <gasps> I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my god. And it hurt. It hurt my feelings a little bit, but I was. I mean, I'm happy that he loves you. Did you? Did you? Did you play the vagina card? I pushed you out of my vagina. (laughs) No, sometimes I do. You got to play the vagina card. But what do you say? I just say I carried you for nine months. Carried you is nothing. I know, but I don't pushed you out of my vagina. Not you, Lynn. He's he's a man. He needs to understand where it's like. Have you seen? Have you seen the? Have you seen the the stories on Instagram right now of the woman interviewing the men about? Tampons? No. Have you you haven't seen this? This woman goes. It's like she's okay. Um, hi, sir. Uh, uh, can I ask you a question? Uh, how do many tampons does a woman use during her period? Oh, uh, uh, maybe well, why would one. A man know that? And then one rose. I don't know one. how many times they whack off a day. <sighs> do you? And then and then they talk about and then she asks them, um, can you pee with a tampon in? And the and the guys are like, oh, I don't think so. The one guy goes. They have those little trash cans in the stall, so I assume you can't pee with a, <laughs> with a tampon in. And then, and then the, she asked them all these like questions about yeah. women and periods and stuff. And then she goes, "Are you registered to vote?" And they're like, "Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am." <laughs> oh, I get what you're saying now. Okay, okay. And it's like, that makes blow a little more sense. My mind. Yeah. I guess I need to have some yeah. conversations with you. Yes, yes. He needs to understand how he came out of your body. I'm well, sure he, he does. Knows. He does know that. Yeah. But um, you because to, I've had you need to play the vagina card. No, but that makes sense. You know, he, I mean, he knows about periods, and because I've flipped out on him when I've had PMS. <laughs> and Chris is like Joseph. Shh, shh. No, just the time that he said to you when you're when you were pregnant with 
Weren't you pregnant? No, with I think tr- I just had PMS. Well, I don't know what time you were until now. You were in the, at the beach and you were riding the bike and he goes, Mom, your legs are really big. Oh, yeah. I think I was pregnant. And you were like, I, I'm, I wanted to fucking kill him. And then and Chris was like, and then Chris was like a new stepdad at that point. That was like very yeah. early on. And he was like, like ripped him right in and was like, Joseph, you never say that to a woman. I was like, yes. Like, like the crowd roars oh, for Chris. Yeah, because... Like, you don't ever say that to a woman. I was thinking about the one night I had PMS, and Charlotte was little. I don't think I was pregnant with Lily yet. Charlotte was little. Joseph was, like, preteen, and Chris was, you know, whatever age. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what happened at dinner, but I yelled at every single person <laughs> at dinner. And then I went upstairs and cried <laughs> and came back down and yelled at Joseph and had a long talk with him about <laughs> respecting his mother. <laughs> and then Chris had a talk with him Especially that night. Especially when there's a big red X on the calendar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't remember what he said. It was something about I had like slaved over dinner. And I was, like, really excited to make this dinner for everyone. Oh, my God. And everyone like, complained Ew. about it. Oh, my God. And then the Joseph worst. made some smart-ass teen comment about, mm. you know, sarcastic comment like he always does. And I fucking lost oh, yes. my shit. Yep. And Chris was, I think, scared for everyone. <laughs> she's like, she's going to kill us all. She's going to kill us all. Everybody I, run to the shed. Run to the shed. I made Joseph wash the dishes, <laughs> and I was down there, like... Talking, talking to him, yelling at him, crying. Oh my god, that's the worst. But it's such. He was like, "Oh my god." It's such a bad place when you like, as a as a parent. I wouldn't even say a woman as a parent when you like make this dinner and you're like excited about it and you've like done it all from scratch and you've like fucking cut every onion, every celery, every slaw, like everything, every like carrot. You cut it all up and you're beautiful and you like spend all this time making this beautifully crafted handmade meal no artificial preservatives no nothing just like pure and like i even bought the organic meat because i wanted everyone to be healthy and they're like ew this is gross before they even taste it yeah and you literally like there's something in your brain that creates you into bigfoot and you're like i will kill all people yeah no i think that was one of my biggest blowouts ever yeah no i'm with you on that i'm with you on that so anyway what were we talking about i don't even know (laughs) jane adams Sorry. That was the longest tension so ever. Sorry. I'll get off my soapbox now, as my sixth grade teacher used to say. So after she returns home, she falls into a depression because she's not feeling fulfilled um, as a hmm. woman. Hmm. So when she's 27, she and her friend Ellen, who's like her BFF, go on another tour of Europe. Of Europe, Europe. <laughs> Is that when you go want to go to Europe, but you you instead just take a picture of your ear, go around it? Europe, <laughs> Europe, Europe. They go on another tour of Europe, and while there, they visit Toynbee Toynbee Hall, which was a settlement house on the city's east end that provided services to poor industrial workers, mm, like me and you. <laughs> yeah, that's what we are. Yes. Yeah. So she falls in love with Toynbee Hall and the whole idea of it. She, it's kind of what she always wanted to do. Like she wanted to help these poor people. Um, and she describes it as a community of university men who live there, have their recreation clubs and society all among the poor people, yet in the same style in which they would live in their own circle. It is free of professional doing good, so unaffectedly sincere and so productive of good results in its classes and libraries seems perfectly ideal. Ooh. 
So they were kind of just living their own lives, you know, like they didn't feel they had to live up to any standards. Right. You know, they were like in living, living in Lizzo's world. That's right. Yes, queen. So Jane vowed to bring that model to the United States, which was in the early years of escalating in the industrialization and Amazon. I, I shake my head. I shake my head. My my grandmother used to say, I, I, shake, you, my head. I shake my head. I don't know if she said that. I'm saying it though. Hmm. I can't remember. <laughs> Which was in the early years of escalating industrialization and immigration. In 1889, Jane and Ellen co-founded Whole House. Whole House. A whorehouse? What? <laughs> A settlement house in Chicago. The rundown mansion had been built by Charles Hole in 1856 and needed repairs and upgrading. His name was Hole and it needed repairs. <laughs> That's my cousin name, Kim Hole. Hole? It's so funny when I say her oh, name, hole, I say it not normal, hole, but when I'm reading it, I'm saying, saying it hole. I thought you said hole and hole. it needed it needed, it needed an update. So I'm like, hole. Did like, it have holes wait, in Kim it? Hole. Like when hole? I say Kim's name, I can say it, but I can't. You want to lick it. my what? <laughs> I don't want to lick your hole. <laughs> You're disgusting. You didn't say that last night. So at first, Jane was... <laughs> your mom would not be proud of you right now. Nope, she wouldn't be. She's not listening. <laughs> She's she embarrassed. Just, she just said, delete, turn <laughs> off. <laughs> She's too embarrassed. <laughs> too embarrassed to share you. Uh, mine didn't bother telling me that. So... At first, Jane's paying for everything, all of the repairs for the house, which mm. needed a lot of repairs. Sounds like a normal woman. And <laughs> the operating costs. But then people start donating, and within the first year, she's able to reduce what she's paying, and a lot of the contributions are paying for oh, nice. the repairs and whatnot. Nice. So, And a number of wealthy women um, became important long-term donors to the house, including Helen Culver. Culver? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. Sorry. <laughs> who managed I'll stop. her first cousin, Charles Hull's estate, and who eventually allowed the contributors to use the house rent free. Oh, nice. I know. Isn't she sweet? Bless her heart. So, Jane and Ellen were the first two to live at the house, and later it became a residence to about 25 women. At its height, Hull House was vis- visited each week by some 2,000 people. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. It was a center for research, empirical analysis, study, and debate, as well as a pragmatic center for living in and establishing good relations with the neighbor. Wow. With the neighborhood. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Among the aims of Whole House was to give privileged, educated young people contact with the real, real life of the majority of the population. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, the idea is really cool. So basically, the residents of the whole house were well-educated women who were bound together by their commitment to labor unions, the National Consumers League, and the suffrage movement. And they conducted investigations on housing, midwifery, fatigue, tuberculosis, typhoid, garbage collection, cocaine, and truancy. Garbage collection and... And cocaine in the same sentence? And what? They, they did, like, a ton of shit to help. Oh, my God. And the, truancy. The, yeah. the community. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. That's crazy. I know. I mean, those things, that's a wide range of shit. I put garbage collection right next to cocaine. <laughs> yeah. So its facilities included a night school for adults, which was one of the first night schools that night schools are now kind of based on. Yeah. Clubs for older children, a public kitchen, an art gallery, a gym, a girls' club, a bathhouse, a book bindery, a music discussion, clubs, an employment bureau, and a lunchroom. 
So do you think like soup kitchens and stuff were started from this? Possibly. It says a kitchen, a public kitchen. Yeah. I mean, like I feel like, yeah, I mean, because I don't know if. That's I don't know interesting. That yeah. Her adult night school was a forerunner of the continuing education classes offered by many universities today. In addition to making available social services and cultural events for a largely immigrant population of the neighborhood, Whole House afforded the opportunity for young social workers to acquire training. Eventually, Whole House became a 13-building settlement complex, which included a playground and a summer camp. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? That's It so went from cool. like one mansion to a 13-building settlement. So in 1905, Jane was appointed to Chicago's Board of Education and subsequently in the founding of the Chicago School of Civics and Philanthropy and in the next year became the first woman president of the National Conference of Charities and Corrections. She also led investigations on midwifery, narcotics consumption, milk supplies, and sanitary conditions, even going so far as to accept an official post of guard Inspector, inspector of the 19th Ward. Oh my God. At an al- annual salary of $1,000. Uh, sounds like my job. <laughs> in, in 1910, I do expect a lot of garbage. <laughs> she received the first honorary degree ever awarded to a woman by Yale University. Oh my God. That's so cool. She, she really is amazing. That's what we need to do, Rose. We need to get really famous so we get an honorary degree. Do you think we'll do that? No, I don't. But I know a university that might do it. WMU, have you heard of them? No. It's my dad, the school my dad graduated from. What is that? You've, you've never heard it? No. Never heard of WMU? What's the matter you? <laughs> <laughs> you think they give us an honorary degree? I thought it was going to be an Phoenix. Honorary degree? <laughs> Phoenix might. <laughs> Phoenix, Phoenix would for sure. But I mean, WMU, I mean, what's the matter you? What's the matter you? What's the matter you? Sounds like something what my, are you gonna do? my grandfather would say. So her favorite thing about the whole house was the art program because she believed that it helped to challenge the system of in- industrialized education, which fitted the individual to the specific job or position. And she wanted to encourage people to think independently. So, so cool. back then it was like you had to do fit into these boxes. Yeah, of And course. she wanted people like, no, to think, yeah. you know. There was no like being outside of the box right. in those times. And, no. and I think this... This art program really helped people to do that. That's so cool. So she saw art as a key to unlocking the diversity of the city through collective interaction, mutual self-discovery, recreation, and imagination. How like how weird is it that we're both talking about artists? I know. <laughs> and like spine issues. Like what the, what the hell? I know. We do this, this every time. This is like time. a totally – like we need to definitely hashtag like art. Yeah. Art industry, art world so. into this one because I feel like it talks about so much art. Like this is cra- – Mary's going to love this. She's going to love us. If she listens. She'll listen to this one. Oh, for sure she'll listen to this one okay. because Frida Kelly. Okay. She she just won't listen to the ones that talk about... Um, Charlotte just texted me, I miss you, Mom. Oh. <laughs> Mary, go, Mary can't... Sorry, I'm cutting this short. <laughs> listen, Mary can't listen to the ones that talk about like the really gory stuff yeah. because she'll have nightmares and stuff. So she she's like, so uh, she can't listen to those, but she'll definitely listen to this... Because she knows Freddie Kala's life, and she'll listen to this because it's not—it's not gory. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, so some people have problem with that. I don't know what's wrong with them. No, I used to when I was little. I I couldn't, but now I freaking love. It's true so crime. funny because so Lynn and I put this podcast out, and people were like, like my sister was telling me, she's like, I can't listen to. She's like, I know why you have anxiety now because you listen <laughs> to all this, this true crime crime shit, and I'm like, no, that's just the news because I was talking about. She wanted to go to some um, Halloween thing, and I was like, no, that's where mass shootings happen. (laughs) 
She's like, yeah, that's why. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, that's just the news. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just current events. That's current events. I listen yeah. to true crime to calm me down. No, but I can't. Like, I I I used to not be able to when I was younger listen to true like any kind of like news, like local and real news. Yeah. I lived in New York because it would make me have nightmares. But now I love that shit. I mean, I I don't know why. I'm I'm just a weirdo. Sorry. I know. Admitting it's the first step, y'all. That's true. You are a weirdo. And that's why you love me, Rose. No, it's not. Uh, so... <laughs> what? Okay. So one of the first additions to Whole House was an art exhibition and studio space. The studio offered the entire community the opportunity to take art classes or to come in and use the space whenever they wanted. And That's they had cool. never had that, something like that. So as they grew and the relationship with the neighborhood deepened, the opportunity became less of a comfort to the poor and more of an outlet of expression and exchange of different cultures and diverse communities. So all these different, you know, immigrants would come in to the studio and do their art, mm-hmm. you know, make their art. And they were also different and they, they really learned from each other. That's really cool. Oh, it is really cool. So the I'm studio pouring myself becomes... the rest of the drink, Rose, because, fine. oh, there's nothing left. Look at that. <laughs> It's covered in maple syrup. (laughs) (laughs) So the studio becomes very important to the entire community, including the children. And it's offered as a safe place for everyone to do something that they love. Oh, that's so cool. I love this. Seeing the difference the art programming made in the lives of the children, Jane and Ellen founded the Chicago Public School Art Society. Um, the program provided public schools with reproductions of world-renowned pieces of art, <laughs> hired artists to teach children how to create art, and also took the students on field trips to Chicago's many That's art museums. That's so cool Isn't because awesome? kids being exposed to art at a young age is like so amazing because they're like, I mean, art is weird, right? Like, so it is, yeah. it, it's very weird. But being introduced to it at a young age and saying, so this is art, and they're and they're like. Wait, how is that art? Like, it's just like a splash of color. And and so, like, being explained that, it's just, it's like such a opening of a world for them. And, you know, Charlotte's really into art. Apparently, my favorite child, Charlotte. (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) Or my only. Don't say that. Don't say that. No, she's not my favorite at all. She just happens to be. She's not my favorite. I hate her, but (laughs) whatever. She's the loudest in my house. (laughs) She's Um. the loudest. She is the loudest, (laughs) for sure. No, but she, she loves art. And I think it's, I think a part of it is because her preschool teacher, did an art class they did like a youtube art class during the pandemic uh-huh. where she'd put every tuesday they'd have like she put youtube uh, some youtube art class guy up and they'd draw these pictures and i think that started her love of art well it's and like she a whole would do these world. amazing like little pictures following the step-by-step guides of this youtube guy well and this it's like it's introducing them into real art versus like i don't want to say fake art because there's no such thing as fake art but like like when i was in school we did like still lives in like middle school and stuff like that and so that we really got introduced to it but i never saw like real artists like frida Kahlo. i never saw yeah, stuff like right. that and so to see that at a young age i think opened your mind up like julia <laughs> my niece is so funny she'll be like Oh yeah, so Frida Kahlo's art is blah blah, and she'll like list like four of her picture, her her works, oh, really? and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like she's because my sister is like majorly into art, so it's and it's yeah. part of my sister's career and it's part of her education, and so so seeing that is like crazy because my niece will like roll right off her tongue like four artists if you ask her, and it's crazy, yeah, but it's crazy. but it's it gives them an appreciation of the different types. Like art is not always just like a Monet yeah, or you right, know right. or a Van Gogh. Van Gogh is kind of weird, but it's not always just like 
these like fancy paintings. It could be totally something abstract and weird. Yeah. And my sister is very much like intro- into introducing her to that. And that's just so cool. Well, Shark can probably tell you like four soccer players. Well, there you four go. four types of alcohol that her parents drink. Uh, well, the soccer players <laughs> would be Aunt Lynn, Joseph, <laughs> Dad, Dad, and Mom. Oh, my God. So the other day she played a tough team. She's U8, so like a bunch of six-year-old girls. Oh, okay. And the, the girls on the other team were like three inches taller than the than her team and they were really good and after the game she was like mommy if daddy didn't have if his knees weren't messed up he could probably have beat that team (laughs) (laughs) he could have beat those little eight-year-old girls for sure mom (laughs) if his knees weren't messed up his knees being messed up definitely could not do it (laughs) what did he say it's like great, thanks. <laughs> I sent him the text message. I don't remember what he said. But oh my god, I can't even imagine him not being like, "Oh my god, this is my daughter. I hate her." <laughs> like, rub it in, girl, because he's actually a really good soccer player. He's a he's great soccer player, but he's very conscious. Like he's very self conscious, and he's very like like he'll beat himself. He's the first person to beat himself up yeah, for making a bad play. Which I'm that's like, a I make a bad play. Seven times a game, so I don't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that the thought that she said that makes me. Oh my god! I, I know it's it so it was it's cracking me up. So funny. She's hilarious. So, along with other progressive women reformers, she was instrumental in successful lobbying of the establishment of ju- the juvenile court system, Ooh. better urban sanitation and factory laws, protective labor leg- legislation for women, and more playgrounds and kindergartens throughout Chicago. Oh wow! Her resume is very impressive. So in 1907, she was a founding member of the National Child Labor Committee. Ooh. She led an initiative to establish a school of social work at the University of Chicago. She served as president of the National Conference of Charities and Corrections. She was the first woman to hold that title and became active in the women's suffrage suffrage movement as an officer in the National American Women's Suffrage Association and pro-suffrage columnist. Oh, so the the woman I did last yeah, week right, was exactly. in the suffrage thing. So she was also among the one of the founders of the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, the Ooh. NAACP. During oh my World God, I War, love this woman. World War. I oh my like, God! This last I week, ever last say week I could not say. Go ahead, go ahead, Rose. World War One. <laughs> World War One. You did a lot better than I did because it took me like nineteen tries last week. <laughs> she found her second major calling: promoting international peace. Uh-huh. She protested U.S. interest U.S. entry into World War One, which people were very critical about. Like newspapers were slamming her oh. and calling her a crazy bitch because she didn't want us, us to be in a war. Yeah, I, wait, why? why? Why don't we want to be in a war? I know, <sighs> but she did not care, and because she was a woman, she believed human beings were capable of solving disputes without violence. <laughs> there you go, and there you have it. Yeah. Like, why do we have to go to war? Why don't, can't we just settle this? But Can't we know. all just get along? Yeah, exactly. But men are like, no, we must fight Kumbaya, and kill people. Lord, <laughs> kumbaya. I need more water. I need water. Yeah, well, so she joined a group of women peace activists who toured the warring nations, hoping to bring about peace. In 1915, she headed the Women's Peace Party and shortly thereafter also became president of the International Congress of Women. She wrote articles and gave speeches worldwide promoting peace, and she helped fund the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Wow. Serving as its president until 
1929 and honorary president until her death in 1935. She was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her efforts in 1931, the first American woman to receive the award. After sustaining a heart attack in 1926, Jane never fully regained her health.、Aww. She was being admitted to a Baltimore hospital on the very day, December 10th, 1931, that the Nobel Peace Prize was being awarded to her in Oslo. Oh no! She died in 1935, three days after an operation revealed unsuspected cancer. The funeral service was held in the courtyard of the whole, whole house. And that's sweet. They had her they, funeral service there. That's so, like, it's, oh my God, the fact that she won the Nobel Peace Prize and she couldn't even be there. That sucks, though. So she was born in 1860 and died in 1935. So it's like 60. She's old. No, it's like 65. She was born in what year? 1960, 1860. 1860, 70, 80, 90, 1910, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Oh, 75, sorry. It's off by 10 years. I mean, that's pretty old for that back then. Yeah, I guess it is back then. It is old, but. For 1935, a, like, that was old. What a badass. Like the fact that she, like this whole, like, this whole community, that she, community that she created I know, is and amazing. Then all the things she did, I mean, she could have been like some rich woman who just traveled and did nothing with her life. I mean, the fact that she like, had all these, like, those, you know, the kitchen, the community kitchens, the, like, I just am in awe of her. I know. She was like, amazing. That's so cool. So she won the Nobel Peace Prize. And then what's, does it say anything about like what she's remembered for, like, best now or anything like that? So the Nobel Peace Prize was for her promoting peace. Was for the when she was in the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. That's so amazing. That's what she won the Nobel Peace Prize for. Because nobody was fighting for women's like, rights and right. like,、yeah. sanity, for lack of better <laughs>、yeah. terms, back then. And the fact that she was was amazing. Yeah, she, she was, I mean, for her time, she, she was really, way ahead of her time. She, way ahead of, yeah. Oh my God, can I say it? Way ahead of her time, she really changed、yeah. a lot for us. Oh my god, so, so our like that's so weird because wasn't weren't our people similar last week too? Wasn't there something similar about our people last week? Well, mine was mine was Georgie White, and yours no, that was wasn't last no, week. they weren't. No, they weren't. No, it was the last week that was the week for. Um, I don't even remember last week. Last week was um, oh, mine was a slave abuser. No, they weren't similar then, but this one, these two are very similar yeah, in、are. a lot of their things. They、really、like, are. yeah, yeah, I mean, she was、It's、like, my head. <laughs> I love how she would go, Frida Kahlo would go to like her husband's like art openings and be like, I'm a better artist than he is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's、It's、pretty like, funny. Yeah, because like, yeah. no, nobody was recognizing women back then. Yeah, so she's、right. like, well, clearly we have to. And so she was. But your woman was doing the same thing. She's like, women need this recognition, this care, this yeah, love. Yeah, and she did、support. a lot for like, women's voting rights and all that oh, God,、yeah. during the suffrage movement. So, Amen, sister. Thank yeah, you. She's amazing. We owe her、I、a、know. big fat thank you. We do. Good job,、yeah. Jane. Good God, Jane. Good God, Jane. Good, good job, Jane. <laughs> good job, Jane. Instead of good God, Jane. Good God, Jane. Good job, Jane. <laughs> All right, anyway, Lynn and I have to go because she's a little drunk. I'm not drunk at all. I'm just like, my contacts are struggling. I just like went to lift up my cord, made a bunch of noise in the microphone. My contacts at this point of the night, because I was like staring at my computer for so long day, today. And、yeah. then tonight, when I do my story, I'm like hyper focused on my monitor. And so my eyes get like super dry and gross. So, so you know,、okay. although I'm beautiful, my eyes are all gummy and gross. 
That's disgusting. So we want to do a big shout out to Ragged Branch Distillery in Virginia for the amazing bourbon in our cocktails tonight. Yes, it was so delish. Thank you, guys and girls. This was amazing. We're going to tag you in this. And so hopefully all of our 7 million and four followers will like reach (laughs) out to you to ship them some of your bourbon. Oh, I meant... I meant four followers, not seven million. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love for you all to like, rate, review, follow us. And share. And share. Please share with your friends. Like, I mean, even if you just like post that shit on Facebook and be like, hey, you guys, I found this new podcast I love. I mean, even if you post it and one other person starts listening, it means the world to us. But if you post it and like 10 other people start listening, then, you know, we'll send you you a bozo button when we... When we purchase those. You can but, join Lynn's OnlyFans page for free. Yes, and get you can. Picks. My OnlyFans. <laughs> I don't have an OnlyFans because nobody wants to see what's going on here. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to see that motherfucking shit. No, ma'am. If this podcasting thing doesn't work out, we're going to start one. Yeah, Do, we'll start a, an OnlyFans we'll feet page. Together? Yeah, an OnlyFans feet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I really think that might be good. Like yeah, both of we'll our do feet? one week with shaved toes, one week with unshaved toes. <laughs> <laughs> How much hair do you have on your feet? Girl, I can braid that shit. You shave your I'm Italian. Toes? What do you expect? Ew, you're Ew. disgusting. It gets caught in between my... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I lied. I lied. Sure you did. I mean, but that you, might be a kink. It might be. Yeah. I'm of sure some guys a kink. like that. Of course it's a kink. Harry so, Toes. Harry Potter? What? Harry Toes. Harry Toes. Oh, that's a good name. That's a good drag queen name, Harry Toes. That's your drag queen Welcome name. to the stage, Harry Toes. <laughs> okay, oh, They okay. called me that in high school. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, follow. Give you us, tell give us a rating. Our, all our Instagram stuff. Okay, so follow us stuff. on No Ordinary Women Pod. On Instagram and Facebook, No Ord Women Pod on Twitter, and No Ordinary Women Pod.com on our website. Please like, share, love. Send us some comments. If you guys want to hear, if you know somebody that you want us to do um, a story on, let Lynn us know. Loves doing people. I love doing people. Rose, not so much. Poor husband of hers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just. Just send us some requests. We're we're willing to take them. We'll look into it and see what we can do. And you guys, thanks so much for following and listening. Ta-ta for now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.